All of us at some point get overwhelmed with our reality. And we look for an escape. People have different ways of escaping reality. Others medicate through drugs and alcohol um, to escape the, the pain or to escape their thoughts and whatever, to just kind of go numb and, and to escape reality that way, to, to hide. But for the Christian, our refuge is in Christ. But, but the, the reality is, is, is we don't fall upon Jesus to escape our reality. Jesus is not the escape from reality, but Jesus is our reality. It's, it's who he is. And unlike every other escape that people might have and try and run to, Jesus is the only one that will never let them down. And eventually, he will eat. he's the only one that won't run out like the rest. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Well, we pick up in chapter 21. Uh, last week, we saw the glory of the resurrection as we went through John chapter 20. Uh, but also as we celebrated with our church, which was super cool to be right there at the same time uh, with the church and we're studying through the gospel of John right at the time of Easter and, uh, just so happened to work out that way. So really neat time just to celebrate that all together and, um, be reminded of what Jesus has done and, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And, and um, we had to break it up into two parts because of the video and stuff like that, but it, it, it worked out. And here we are in chapter 21, the final chapter Chapter 21 is a really interesting chapter because when you come to the end of 20, it feels like that is a good place for the book to end, Um, right? He he ends it by saying, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. It seems like that's a great place for us to stop, but that's not where John leaves us, which is is interesting because you read the rest of John's letters and he kind of does the same thing. He'll end like, I think it's first John chapter uh, four, it ends so wonderfully, but then chapter five is kind of this appendix to the rest of the story. And, and the same thing with, with John chapter 21, we ended um, with this wonderful reminder of the power of God, but yet If it had ended in the way that it did, and we kind of just stopped without chapter 21, the next time we see Peter would have been on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And so that would have kind of, we would have had a lot of questions as far as what he did, um, because there wasn't necessarily a public restoration of Peter that is recorded for us. We just know that he appeared to Peter, he appeared appeared to him multiple times. Um, And so this right here... It would help us and, and remind us of, of what Peter's position was in the early church. And Jesus restored this man. So we're going to see kind of that, that play out tonight. But whenever we come to a text, we want to ask it a couple questions, uh, questions is what is the big picture and what is the main point? And as you look at the end of verse 14 of chapter 21, it says, This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples After he was raised from the dead. The point that John again is making is that Jesus is alive. And the whole purpose of his writing was that we might believe in coming to faith in Christ. 
a deeper faith in Christ. For those of them walking with Jesus for a long time, to those who are just brand new, giving their life to Jesus, all of us have to or come to this point in our life, we need to be convinced again and reconvinced and and to be fully convinced of who Jesus is in our life um, personally. And so John writes with that kind of mindset as I want you or he wants the reader, he wants us big picture to know that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, but also that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not in a grave. He was raised from the dead. And he says that this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Now that's the key phrase. He has appeared to his disciples for the third time. There are other uh, other recordings of Jesus appearing. I think there's 11 in the gospels, but this is the third time he's appeared to the 12 or or the the apostolic band and those that would be leaders of the early church. And so Jesus has met with them three times personally. And so we have this chapter because if we had ended in the, in chapter 20, we would end up reading the book of Acts and wondering what happened with Peter Uh, questioning, you know, was there ever a time where Jesus spoke to him personally about the, the fact that he denied Christ three times? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. And so this kind of, again, reminds us of the authority of the apostle Peter and the leadership of the apostle Peter. And so we begin by reading verse one says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself and Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon, Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now I, I love to fish. I've, um, yeah, we took a college group fishing trip for the guys and we caught over like 70 fish all together. It was an amazing trip. I love fishing. It's a, it's, it's wonderful. Um, that has nothing to do with our text, but some have made the point that this was wrong for the guys to go fishing. Some say it's fine. You know, like other commentators go back and forth and try and we don't know because we can't know the attitude of Peter in that moment. We don't know if he was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going back to my old ways and I'm going, we can't tell that the, the text doesn't lead us into that. Peter just says, let's go fishing. Um, we don't know what his attitude was, but what we do know is that they were told by Jesus to go back to Galilee and they obeyed. And in Matthew's gospel, it tells us that they were told to go to Galilee and they did that. They obeyed that. And here they are waiting in Galilee for the next step. But one commentator put it this way, previously to the crucifixion of our Lord, the temporal necessities of himself and his disciples appear to have been supplied by the charity of individuals. If you look up Luke chapter 8, verse 3, and as it is probable that the scandal of the cross had now shut up the source of support, the disciples not fully knowing how or where to be employed proposed to return to their former occupation of fishing in order to gain a livelihood. So the point that he makes is at, at that point, you know, they had given up their business and for three years were away from that and lived off the support of others and the generosity of others. And it was, but now with the cross happening and that kind of all disbanding and them kind of scattering and now coming back together, they're, they still need to eat. They don't know what to do. And so Peter says, let's go fishing. Let's go back to what we, we had to do. We have to, I'm sure he looked down at his hands and said, well, at least I can work. I can go back to work and, and 
provide for myself. I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I do know that I'm hungry and I need to go fishing. So he and the other guys, seven of them get in a boat and they go fishing. But it tells us that um, the, the others said, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. They caught nothing. I mean, what a bummer of a, of a, <laughs> a time that they're having. Like Jesus died. They know he's alive. They're in Galilee. They don't know what to do. Um, they're kind of scared. They don't know if they're going to live or die the same way Jesus did. And they're like, let's go fishing. Let's just have a distraction from all of this. Let's go out on the boats like we used to. Um, they get in the boat. They fish all night long and they catch nothing and they come back defeated. And some have said, you know, fishing, not catching anything in fishing is better than working or something like that. Your best day at work or something, I don't forget. But regardless, when you go fishing and you don't catch anything, there's kind of this like, ah, there's a, a it's a, you're on a down slope here. Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't know if you're like, it was beautiful out, but you didn't catch anything. Not even a bite, not even a nibble. That is a difficult time. And I'm sure they went out with this idea of like, I just need a distraction from reality. They had no idea what to do. And so let's just be distracted for a minute. But it got me thinking that all of us at some point get overwhelmed with our reality. And we look for an escape. And some create their own realities through uh, AI and different things like that. You know, they try and create these avatars and they live through those and things like that. People have different ways of escaping reality. Others medicate through drugs and alcohol um, to escape the, the pain or to escape their thoughts and whatever, to just kind of go numb and, and to escape reality that way, to, to hide. But for the Christian, our refuge is in Christ. You've heard it said that Christianity is a crutch. I'm, I'm sure you've heard um, someone refer to that like, you know, people in the world always say that Christians, oh, you just use Christ as a crutch and whatnot. And, and you know what? That's true. He's not just a crutch. He's, he's our hospital. He's, he's the one who takes care of us. He's the one in which we hide in. Um, but but the, the reality is, is, is we don't fall upon Jesus to escape our reality. Jesus is not the escape from reality, but Jesus is our reality. It's, it's who he is. And unlike every other escape that people might have and try and run to, Jesus is the only one that will never let them down. And eventually, he will eat. he's the only one that won't run out like the rest. And so, yes, Christians do have a crutch. We're not escaping to re, uh, from reality, but we're running to our present reality, our risen Lord who loves us and cares for us, who tells us in his word to run and hide in him, to, that he is our refuge, our hiding place. He cares for us. He loves us. And that never runs out. It never runs dry. And he'll never let you down and never disappoint. And so it, it's interesting that we all at some point can't handle our reality, and you have a choice to make. You can either run to the things of the world and try and escape that way, but eventually that will run out and it doesn't work, or you can run to Christ and fall upon him to where there's security and there's safety and there's a realness to your reality. There's hope in that reality. There's, there's peace in that reality. There's all of these wonderful things at the foot of the cross 
hidden in Christ Jesus, but the other things will run out. And the point is, is they were trying to just kind of like, I think if, I don't know, and this is my opinion, trying to distract themselves from, from what was happening. But they were out all night and they come back with nothing. They come back empty. They came, they came up dry. And as they're coming to shore, it says that Jesus met them there at the shore. And he asked them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Which is interesting. Jesus comes to them at work. He doesn't just come to them at some religious service. Like they weren't at a temple and Jesus shows up in the temple. or It wasn't just at a house you know, prayer meeting like in the other two accounts that we have there in the upper room. Jesus comes to their work and shows up at their job. And it's, it's a reminder that Jesus can come to you at any moment. He's not restricted to a certain place or a certain time. But Jesus comes to them while they're at work. And these guys were professionals. They knew how to fish. They knew the right times to fish. They knew the tides, the techniques. Plus, what's the difference of, of having that on one side rather than the other side? Have you ever been fishing with someone who? <laughs> I don't want to say who. But I've been fishing with, let's say, my children. Okay, I take my kids fishing. And I'll tie all their hooks on. I'm baiting all their hooks for them. Um, they're catching fish. I'm baiting hooks. And then when I go to fish, now they're instructing me on how to fish properly. And you're like, you don't even know how to tie a hook. Like, and you're trying to tell me how to fish. I feel like at the same time, they're coming in from, from fishing all night long, not catching anything. And some guy on the shore is like, hey, did you catch anything? And they're like, no. And they're like, why don't you throw your net on the other side? And you're like, that's dumb. That's not the right thing to do. It's early morning. It's not the right time to fish. It, it, we did. I mean, no, leave me alone, you kook. But that's not what they do. For some reason, they obey and they do it. And they throw their net on the other side. And so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because the multitude of fish. They catch so much fish, they can't even pull it into the boat. And I wonder why Jesus did this. And perhaps Jesus was teaching them something. Perhaps it was the method may change, but the message and the goal is always the same. The method of ministry and what they were doing for a long time, for three years, was about to change in different ways. Peter goes to the Gentiles. and Who knows what Jesus was necessarily trying to teach them. But nonetheless, there was a point to all of this. And, and I think he's working through it with them. And as they throw and they're obedient to something that is obviously the facts didn't line up. It didn't seem like the right thing to do, but they heard a voice and they listened to it and they obeyed and man, their catch multiplied. It was, it was an incredible miracle of the Lord. Um, and they knew it was Jesus. It says that when they did this, Peter then exclaimed, it is the Lord. For some reason, this at some point, they didn't know it was Jesus there on the shore. But this miracle, he goes, this has to be the Lord. How do we know that it's the Lord? Well, they have precedent to this story. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, it says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, which is Peter, and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. This has happened before. And nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. 
And so they signaled to the other partners in their boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled the boat. And so they were so full that they began to sink. They had divine precedent for this. Peter remembered, I remember when this happened before. We caught so many fish because we obeyed the voice of the Lord. And when we did, God blessed. I mean, this has to be Jesus. This has to be him. And so Peter jumps out into the boat. Sorry, I'm getting all excited and yelling in my garage. There's no one here, but I'm excited. Hold on one second. Mm. So, so what was the miracle? What brought on the miracle? How do we know? I, I think Peter knew it was the Lord by what was happening. Well, how do we know when things are the Lord or of the Lord? I think one, there's divine precedent for it. We've seen it somewhere in the past, maybe. But also, there's a divine touch on the work. It wasn't about the side of the boat that they had thrown it on. It wasn't like there was a school of fish just kind of sitting there and they didn't see it. But there was a divine touch upon the work. How do we know that it's the Lord? There's a divine touch upon what is happening, and we can't explain it except it be the power of God. When that something like that happens and we're going, man, what is going on? This has to be the Lord. There's something uh, of power and divinity uh, uh, attached to it. This has to be a touch from the Lord. But look what's included. In our story, what's included is the fishermen, the boat, and the nets. It didn't exclude the tools uh, of, of the fishermen, the boat, and the nets. All these were used as instruments in the work he uses uh, or, or the work that he accomplished. He used ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. That Christ used, Jesus uses the fishermen. He uses their boats. He uses their nets. They obey the command of the Lord and God puts a divine touch and does a great work through them. And it's, I think it's evidence of what God does with us. He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God will use ordinary things, normal things to do great things. We've seen it from Genesis to the end of Revelation. We, we see it in the book of Acts. We are a continuation of the book of Acts. Like this is something that has been going on since Jesus ascended into heaven. He has used ordinary people to accomplish the extraordinary for the kingdom of God. He used the fishermen. He used their boat. He used their nets. But it was beyond anything that they had ever experienced on their own. And so they said, there's, a, there's something divine and powerful about what's happening here. Charles Spurgeon, he says, let us learn that in, in the saving of souls, God works by means that so long as the present economy of grace shall stand, God will be pleased by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Incredible word from Charles Spurgeon. Like, let's just look at this. The saving of souls comes from ordinary preaching because the grace of God is upon it by the foolishness of our preaching, he says. And he, he quotes another one I thought was interesting. Uh, Spurgeon also said, perhaps if they had not fished at night, Christ would not have given them fish in the daytime. He does not often come to bless idlers. And again, I think that's where it's one of those things where I don't think Jesus was condemning the guys from going fishing. I think he would have condemned them from sitting there and doing nothing. 
You remember when, when they were praying, uh, they're supposed to be praying in the garden and they're crying so much that they fall asleep. That's when Jesus comes and rebukes them. It says, get up, do something. You should be praying, not sleeping. And I think God blesses, uh, God blesses a lot of times when we take initiative and start something or try something and God moves and puts his divine touch on it. And that's when we see God, God do a great work. It's through normal tools being moved by the Holy Spirit. God then works in, in, in his church. It's not just by sitting idly back and doing nothing. And Jesus multiplies the work of their hands. Look what it says. Uh, that Jesus then saw or says, it is the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. It's such a, a cool story. As they come to the the shore, there's Jesus over a little coal fire, and he's already preparing fish, and he's he's preparing bread um, for them. And what I found fascinating is that even in his resurrected, glorified body, um, Jesus is still serving. He's still serving. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his heart is the same. As we saw Jesus in chapter 13 humble himself to serve his disciples and to wash their feet one by one, that that was and forever will be the heart of God. He is a savior by nature. He is a servant and we see it in the person of Jesus. May, May the people around us also see that in the followers of Jesus, that we're to be servants because that is the heart of God. The heart of God, it's the will of God for us currently now living on this earth. If you're like, man, I'm just wondering, like, what is God's will for me? God's will is that you would serve him, that you would serve him in whatever capacity, whatever gifting God gives you, that you would serve him with those gifts and to watch God put his divine touch upon those like somewhat you know, just normal gifts that you have or just kind of normal things that you think aren't going to make a difference and to watch God move through you powerfully because you're obedient to him. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. And in modeling it for us, he says to us, as he says to Peter, come and follow me, follow me. So um, they eat breakfast together. And no doubt, I, I can't, I can't imagine they, they don't recognize where they are and what they're doing. The setting is they're on this, they're surrounded by a little fire or they're not, they're not surrounded by a fire. They're surrounding a little fire and they're warming themselves by the fire. And Jesus is giving them bread and he's giving them fish. No doubt they're reminded of when Jesus multiplied fish and bread. But I think Peter at this point is reminded of what happened when the last time he was by a fire warming himself and Jesus was there. And that was the fact that he had denied him three times. But look what it says that Jesus, he says, bring some of the fish that which you caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Let's just for a second here, notice how strong Peter is. The guy was a beast, a monster of a man. 
He grabs this net filled that was sinking their boats and they couldn't pull it in. And he's so excited and so filled with adrenaline that he drags the net up the beach by himself. Guy was a monster. Um, I don't think I would have, you know, messed with him at all. But here, Jesus makes them breakfast and they, he invites them, come and eat with me. Come and eat and dine with me. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that this was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that is the main point that, that John is making. He's alive. We've seen him. We've handled him. We ate breakfast with him. He made us fish. He made us bread. But the story moves now and kind of isolates now on Peter. Verse 15. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And then he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus had no doubt spoken to Peter at a different occasion, maybe privately. But here, I know, I think 1 Corinthians tells us that he appeared to Cephas. Um, and so maybe privately they had had a conversation, but never fully addressed the situation in front of the other guys. And Peter was their leader. I mean, he was the rock. He was the guy who would always speak up, big, strong, loud. I mean, he was a guy that they loved to follow. And so after he had denied Christ three times, I'm sure there was a little bit of embarrassment and shame. And here Jesus comes in front of all of these guys. And it's the third time that he's appeared to them. And Jesus asked Peter a direct question. Do you love me more than these? Now, some have made the point that he's pointing to the nets and maybe the boats or his career. Like, do you love me more than your career? But I don't think that's what Jesus was, was making the point. Do you love me more than these? I think he's talking about the other disciples. And you remember what, what Peter said when Jesus said that the, the shepherd will be struck and, and the sheep will scatter. You're all going to deny me. You're all going to you know run away and leave me. Peter said, they, all these other losers <laughs> might leave you. But I will never leave you. I will never. That's not going to happen. And he says, I love you more than all these other guys combined. That's never going to happen. But it happened. And so when Jesus asked him this question in front of all of them, again, he says, like you said, do you love me more than all these other guys love me? And Peter's response was, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the, the text, uh, the Greek tells us that Jesus asked him, do you agape or agapeo me? Uh, and, and Peter responds with, you know, Lord, that I'm fond of you. It's not that phileo is a bad kind of love. It's not that that, that was a, a, um, a bad thing to say. But Jesus is asking him directly, do you love me with this kind of intensity? And Peter says, I I think, I think you know that I love you, I'm fond of you, but I think there was a, a portion in Peter's heart where he's like, I don't know. Like, how do I know that I love the Lord? How do I know that, 
that I truly love Jesus like the way that he's asking me right now. And then Jesus says to him, if you love me, right, then feed my lambs. The idea was that Peter could demonstrate his claim of love for Jesus by feeding Jesus's lambs and by tending Jesus's sheep. And Jesus emphasized that they were his sheep, not Peter's. Like these are my sheep. And so when you minister in my name, it's displaying your love for me as you love on them. And so he's instructing him to love these lambs. And Peter says, I'm fond of you. You know that I'm fond of you. When he says in the second one, he asks him again for a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Gives him a second chance. Like, here's the answer. Do do you love me? And here it comes. And he says, yes, I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And when Jesus uses that word to tend them, it's a verb that's used here was, was somewhat of a broader meaning. It is to exercise the office of shepherd over again, simply feeding them. So not only to, to feed them and to take care of them in that way, but to shepherd them. And and you know what it means to shepherd. Hopefully we went through Psalm 23. I'm not going to go backwards, but you know what that means. That, that meant that the shepherd led his sheep. He doesn't drive them. He doesn't crack the whip. He doesn't go behind them and, and, and hit them. He, he leads them because they know his voice and he calls to them. And so when he instructs Peter to lead them in this under shepherd role, he's saying in a way, you need to lead them by example. Show them the way to walk with me. Show them the way to love me. Tend to my sheep. And he says again for the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. Now, I think it would grieve anyone, um, obviously the third time, because Peter had denied Christ three times. And so Jesus gives him a chance. Here's your chance three times to um, affirm your affection for me. But can you imagine if, if... your wife or your significant other was like, do you love me? And you're like, yes. And they said, do you love me? And you're, yes. Do you really love me? I mean, three times they have to ask. I mean, that would hurt your feelings. Like, do you really have to ask? You don't know? If you don't know, like that, that means I'm not doing something correct. Like you should know that I love you. But here's Peter's response. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter says, my heart is exposed and open to you, and you know the depths of my heart. And I'm saying to you, as someone who can be easily deceived by my own heart, I love you, but maybe not in the way that you want me to. So you tell me. is Like, you know my heart, but you know that I want to love you more. I, want, I do, I love you. And then Jesus instructs him again to feed his sheep. I love that Jesus, um, he didn't ask Peter, like, are you sorry? Will Will you promise never to do that again? Jesus just challenged Peter to love. Like, he doesn't say, like, you need to apologize to me. You need to promise and take an oath right now that you will never do that again. He just tells him, like, if if you really do, then I want you to love, love others. Feed the sheep. 
tend to their needs, lead them by example. That means denying yourself, picking up your cross, following after Jesus so that others can do it as well, so that you can show them the way to walk. But then also he tells them again, then continue to feed them and, and to bless them and to serve them. Jesus Christ asks each of us not for obedience primarily, not for repentance only, not for vows and not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. Um, but here, here we come to this climactic end here. And he, he, Jesus says to him, most assuredly, he says to Peter, he's going to give him kind of a glimpse into his future. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will be stretched out. You will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by the death he would glorify God. He tells Peter, when you were young, man, you went where you wanted to go. Um, you, you walked where you wanted to walk. But when you get older, there's going to be a point where you're going to be um, tied up by someone else and you're going to be led somewhere that you don't want to go and your arms are going to be stretched out and you're going to, um, they're going to carry you where you do not wish. And, and Jesus was telling Peter that someday he would give his life. But notice what he says that, that by his death, it would glorify God. And you guys, I, we talked about how Peter would give his life for the Lord. Peter would say, uh, as they were going to crucify him, to turn the cross upside down. And Peter would actually be crucified upside down. It's this painful, gruesome thing. He says, I'm not worthy to die uh, the way that my Savior died. So um, he turned the cross over. And that brought the Lord glory. Notice that Peter's given another chance um, not only in that moment with Jesus, but for the rest of his life, he was given the opportunity. And even in the mess of Peter's life, like denying Christ three times, it's a big deal. Um, Jesus restores him. He gives him another opportunity. And I think, you know, you have, we have to like put ourselves in this place of, of knowing that God's grace not only extended to the apostle Peter, but it extends to us. Having never seen the risen Lord personally, like God's grace is upon us. That when we blow it and we mess up and we make mistakes, Jesus doesn't come to you and, and say, are you sorry? Promise you'll never do that again. He says, reevaluate your love for me. Because really the essence of sin is just, it all boils down to the fact that we don't believe God for what he says, right? It's it's this doubting whether or not God is who he says that he is and that he is good. So that's really the essence of it is God says, don't do this. And we're like, ah, I don't know if you're that good. I'm going to do something else. That's sin. And it leads to other sins. And it's it's really not believing that God loves us as much, that he, as, much as he says that he does. And so when he comes to us, when we mess up, he says, I want you to reevaluate what you love most. What do you love most? And a lot of times it's ourselves. And so Jesus says this to Peter. He tells him how he's going to die. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And ultimately Peter will. He'll follow him even in the way that he dies. 
But this it's a dramatic moment that Jesus gave these last words to Peter years before he called Peter to follow him. Uh, if you remember in Matthew chapter four, now Peter knew that continuing to follow Jesus would mean a certain would mean certainly a cross, and, and a certain cross. But Peter once again is challenged to follow his Messiah, his teacher, and his Lord. And we are given that same challenge. Jesus says to me, or to me and to you, follow me, follow me. It's a challenge to us. It's a call to us. It's the same as he said, come and eat breakfast. He, he calls to us and says, come and follow me as your Messiah, as your teacher, as your Lord. But Peter's response is awesome because it's the same thing that I would do. <laughs> it just gives me great, great comfort. Then Peter turning around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? This is so cool. Peter and John must have been really close because they were always ragging on each other. Uh, John beat Peter to the, he beat him to the, to the tomb. Um, Peter went in. He was like, John, you're such a sissy. You wouldn't even go in. Um, there's so many different things, like times where John just kind of throws Peter under the bus. Like he sank, he walked in water, but he sank. I mean, all these different accounts. Um, it's just kind of funny. They're back and forth. And I'm sure Peter, when he hears this, he starts looking around. He's like, where's John? Where's the guy who thinks that he loves Jesus so much? Where's that guy? Well, what about him? And he points the finger at John. I love this. He just deflects everything that Jesus just said personally to him. And he's like, that's great and all, but that's probably for someone else. You know, that's probably someone else's responsibility. Peter represents most all of us. We find it easy to deflect any personal challenge from Jesus by wondering and even worrying about what other disciples are doing or what Jesus may require of them. Isn't it funny? Like, we read that and we're like, man, I can't believe that. And the whole time we're deflecting it on Peter when really it's supposed to be <laughs> penetrating our heart of like, no, when Jesus called, when he says, follow me, that's speaking to me and that's speaking to you. He says, follow me. And, and we can deflect that and be like, yeah, people do. People do need to follow. I agree wholeheartedly, Jesus. People need to follow you. He's talking to you and me. I can't make anyone else follow Jesus. I can't make you follow Jesus. The only person that I'm responsible for, for making that decision is me. I can help others and lead others to that decision, but you can't make that decision for them. And so deflecting that responsibility doesn't take the responsibility away from you. We have free will, don't we? Thank God we have free will, but we also have personal responsibility. God has cho he's chosen us. We are the elect. Praise God. But also we have personal responsibility to choose whether or not we will follow Jesus. And he calls to every single person, follow me. Peter deflects it and he says, well, what about John? Like he thinks he's so great. What about this guy? And Jesus is so, so, and I, I hopefully we, when you read this, like we read the way that Jesus talked to Thomas, that he rebukes Thomas in such a gentle and kind way that Thomas doesn't even know he's being rebuked. Like, but with Peter, I think he talked to him a little differently. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? He basically tells Peter, like, 
if I choose to give John a super long life till till I come back and John doesn't even die, what does that have to do with you following me? That has nothing to do with it. That, that has everything to do with you making a decision. This is a powerful and pointed challenge to Peter. Without regard to how Jesus might deal with John or other disciples, Peter had to decide for himself whether or not he would follow Jesus. And this is a challenge for every one of Jesus' disciples. And I believe that's why John put this at the very end of the book. As everyone reads, like, this is what you need to believe. Jesus is the risen Lord. He's the one who's risen from the dead. He's alive. He's almighty God and powerful. Will you follow him? And every person has to make that decision personally for themselves. No one else can make it for you. I love that Jesus says, it's none of your business. <laughs> then the saying went out among the brethren that it, this disciple would not die. So everyone's like, John's not going to die. Jesus said it. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will it, what does that mean to you? So there was like a little discrepancy, like John's not going to die. And I'm sure when he was boiled in oil and he didn't die, everyone's like, see, I told you he's not going to die. But that's not what happened. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was saying, if, if I choose that, that's my will for him. What is that to you? Here's the blessing of the will of God. That God's will for my life is such a wonderful and great plan and purpose and will for me that I understand that God's will for you and his plan for you is different. And what this causes for, for all of us in the body of Christ is to cheer each other on and to be glad for one another and to bless one another and to be stoked for one another as God has a path carved out for you to follow. And as you follow Jesus in your path that he's followed or carved out for you and you're walking with the Lord, I can go, yay, yay, Lord, like yay, Jesus, yay, you. I can cheer you on as you walk with the Lord and follow the Lord. It, it frees us from like any kind of jealousy knowing that my God loves me just as much as he loves you and he has a, a call to me to follow him. And the way that I'm following him is going to be different in the sense of the plan that God has for your life and the way that God is calling you to follow him. And I mean that in the sense of where we go and what we do and the different paths that God is, is calling us to. I'm not saying that, you know, it's okay for me to do certain sins because that's how God's called me to follow him. That's not what I'm saying. He's called us to follow him in righteousness and truth, to model the things that he modeled for us, to, to walk in his footsteps, to do as he did, to say as he said, but know that God has a plan. Look what he said to Peter. You, the way that you are going to give your life, the way that your life is going to glorify God is different than the way that John's life is going to glorify God. But each, although different, have the same goal, and that is to glorify God. And so the ending verses says, this is the, 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 the hold on, anyway, I'm getting excited. We're almost there. Can you believe it? It's, oh, this is a huge hurdle. This is amazing. I just feel like, you know, when you're like, it's, it's, yeah, we're going to wait. Just give me a second. Whew. You are my Everest. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Woo! We did it. We finished the Gospel of John. 
But I love what he says there at the end. John says, I'm giving you what I remember in my account, but there are so many things that Jesus did that if we were to write them all down, all the books in the world would not be able to contain what Jesus did. And so it's just, again, I think it points us to the fact of eternity that someday we're going to realize and get to learn all the things that Jesus did. Um, but I think it also points us to the book of Acts because John was talking about, right, all the things that had happened in the life of Jesus, but also the things that God was doing through his people and is continuing to do throughout history and into our present age. We are a continuation of the story of the book of Acts. And so um, Jesus is still moving. Jesus is still working. Um, although the method is different, right? This is a different method. Teaching uh, into my phone is a different method. The goal is the same, and that is the glorification of Jesus Christ in the life of every believer. And so that is the gospel of John. I pray that you would believe if you have never given your life to Jesus, you're watching this, you've stumbled upon this for some reason and somehow, and you have never given your life to Jesus. You don't know where you're spending eternity. Um, you don't know what'll happen to you when you die. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you shall be saved Heaven becomes your new destiny. And so I encourage you to make that decision, to make Jesus your, your Lord, to make him your Savior, to invite him to live into your heart, to confess your sins to him, to let your sins be forgiven by him, and to start your new life in Christ Jesus. So if you would like to accept Christ and you never have, message us through the Instagram and we will make sure to reach out to you as soon as possible and, and to pray with you, to encourage you to lead you to Christ if you've never been, uh, you don't know how, man, the easiest thing to do, cry out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. I believe in you. I ask you into my heart. I confess you as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that you shall be saved. So I hope you've enjoyed the Gospel of John. They're all up, or they will all be up on our podcast at some point. But let, it, let me pray us out, and uh, you guys can enjoy the rest of your evening. Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this book and the gift that it is to, to teach us of the life of Jesus and, and to give us such a detailed, um, a detailed uh, description of what you did that we might believe in you, that our faith would be strengthened. So Lord, I pray that that took place as we walked through this book together. And so we love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask that you would heal those who are sick. God, free us from this virus so that we can be back together and and again, the church can go out throughout the world. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heart in your soul.